0: There's something confusing about how we read our Bibles. When you look at it, it's just one book, but that's not how it started. And if you look in the index, you'll see that it's actually 66 books. And those 66 books come in a host of different genres, written by different authors to different people with different intentions. So if you start from the very beginning and you look at Genesis and Exodus, the closest thing I could think of is they're sort of like sitting at the family table and listening to your grandma tell stories about past generations and their faithfulness and the things they went through in their lives. And then if you keep reading, you get to Leviticus or Deuteronomy and those are much closer to a contract and you need a lawyer sitting next to you when you sign the dotted line if you keep moving ahead you have first and second samuel and first and second kings and first and second chronicles and these are about as close as the bible gets to a history book which is why a lot of people get there in their quest to read through the bible in a year and they stop not all of us love histories but there they are and they talk about politics and kings and policies and wars and how all these things play together And it's intent on showing how God works with people over time. And then you have a host of prophets. And these are sort of like rally speeches. And they can be pretty condemning and also pretty encouraging, pretty much on top of each other. And when you read them, mostly you have to yell, which is always fun. Then you have the Psalms, which are a collection of prayers. And then you have Proverbs, which is a teaching manual. And then you have the Gospels, which are an ancient biography. Obviously, these are about Jesus of Nazareth. But each of these are from a genre written by an author with an intention. And that, with a couple exceptions, brings you to what are traditionally called the epistles. Epistles is a fancy word for a letter, which means when we read our text this morning, we are opening someone's mail, which is a federal offense, but I think we'll get off the hook this time. This letter wasn't stamped and addressed because it is from long before there were post offices. Instead, it was written and put into someone's hand who walked many dusty miles down dangerous roads to deliver it to someone else. We actually know the man's name who delivered it. His name was Tychicus. And we know that it was written by the Apostle Paul, the same one who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was struck blind by the power of that revelation. So when we read our scriptural text for today, we are quite simply reading someone's mail, which when we open our Bible is probably not what we were looking for. Once a year at Princeton, uh, our seminary, they would have a fundraiser. And many people, when they have a fundraiser, they sell delicious treats like cakes, like our deacons do. They have a car wash or maybe crafts and arts pieces. At Princeton, we are a nerdy bunch, so we had, you guessed it, a book sale. Not even fiction books. We're talking very few New York Times bestsellers. These are straighten your glasses, super nerdy books. Here is the place you come to buy the nerdiest books at rock bottom prices. Looking for a commentary about the Book of Judges that pulls apart every word and every verse for 700 pages? You're in the right place. There it is sitting on the table. And next to it are 12 other books on the Book of Judges. And next to those, some other things, maybe on Supreme Court justices, maybe some lawyers. Here's a book on uh, psychology. You've been wondering about Sigmund Freud. Here he is. And here's a guy who spent his life studying him and said, this makes a lot of sense for pastoral care. And here's another guy who read that guy and said, that guy sure was stupid. And they're all (laughs) laid out here, table after table of books, nerdy books, hosts of genres and so you walk into this literally it was a gymnasium full of them tables of books and then boxes under the tables that didn't fit onto the tables and it's taking a step into a world of academia and it's full of knowledge all sorts of history bible studies and i was browsing through these books being the nerd that i am micah was trying to censor how many books i was putting into my box and i stumbled onto a little green book no title No author, just a plain green. And I picked it up and I curiously looked inside, and it was filled cover to cover with someone's handwriting. It was handwritten memories and reflections, page after page, of some anonymous man's experiences of faith and life, a student at Princeton 40 years before. It was someone's journal, so I bought it. And out of the 10 books I bought that day, it is the only one that I remember. I got sucked in, and I read about a cool fall day where this man went to a friend's house. He was going to see people he hadn't seen in some time, and he was feeling nervous about it. Uh, Would they connect after all they had been through? Would they be upset that he hadn't reached out to them in so long? And he wrote about how he had been feeling discouraged. But then him and his friends, they ate together, and they shared stories of what they had been through, and they laughed, and they caught up, and it renewed his spirit's. And what he wrote, it caught me off guard. It was the most profound theological moment I had from this stack of books. Just a man, with no agenda, writing for himself in a journal about how this experience with friends had renewed his spirits. It wasn't written to be sold, it was just telling the truth. And when we read our scripture text from this morning, it's closer to this. A journal, a glimpse into a man's personal life. It's a letter written by a man, Paul, to his friends. He wants to help them, and he's sharing from his personal experience. So try to hear it that way. Hear now these words from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we also have obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people. To the praise of his glory. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Paul's letter. It's not his book about God. It's not his PhD dissertation, although, because it's Paul, you almost need a PhD to understand it. It's a letter. Paul isn't trying to hit you over the head with something. He's not planning on having people keep this forever. These are words that he desperately wanted to share with his friends, and we are listening in. We've picked this up 2,000 years later, and we can even see who it was addressed to and who carried it, and we know who wrote it. This is Paul, the man speaking from the gut. And what he has to say is that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Christ. That God has chosen us That He predestined us for adoption into God's family. This may sound a little bit like some of your Baptist backgrounds, maybe too much for comfort. For some of us, it may feel too evangelical. I don't know, but here it is. God has predestined us for adoption into his family. There's a lot here I can't cover. It's a beautiful letter, uh, but has happened. My wife is doing a Bible study on Ephesians right now in Sunday school. She's working through the book and pulling out a bunch of these terms that we don't really get to think about much. What does it actually mean to be adopted by God? What does it mean to be predestined? What does it mean to be saved? What does it look like? What does it feel like? If you're asking those questions next Sunday morning just across the way at 945, be there or be square, I guarantee you it will be worth it. But for this morning, I want to focus on just that first line. We are blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realm. Because there's something important going on here, and there's a conversation going on that you could miss depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading. You may already know the New Testament of your Bible was originally written in, in Greek, which means if you're reading it in English, someone translated it. And whatever translation you're reading, it wasn't one person. People get together on committees. And they spend months translating word by word and verse by verse because translation is really hard. And I have a good story about this. Micah has a friend who works for our denomination in Memphis. And he was born in Columbia and he became a missionary to the United States and here he worked with Hispanic churches, and he did a fantastic job, so he was hired by the denomination, and now he works with the missions program, and when a group goes to Colombia or another Latin American country, he tags along and often translates. But people don't think how hard translating is. It's not just words that need to get translated. It's a whole culture, and he has a story about someone from the United States giving a testimony in Colombia. actually someone from Alabama, and they were nervous. You can imagine, right? They're nervous. They're in another country trying to give a testimony about what God has done in their life. And they decide to start off with a good old joke to break the ice. Not just any joke. They want to go with their slam dunk, home run joke. So the guy sets it up and Micah's friend translates. And he lays it all out, and Micah's friend translates word by word, line by line, and he's nailing it. He can feel it. And then he hits the punchline, and it's perfect. And all the people who had gone with him from the States, they laughed and they laughed. Oh, they loved it. And then Micah's friend translated, and not a single Colombian left. They just stared at him. The subject of his joke was Alabama and Auburn football. <laughs> Since then, Micah's friend has adopted a new technique. When he realizes someone is telling a joke or a story, he listens and he will translate it if the joke will translate well. But often he listens and says, correct my Spanish if it's wrong, dijo una broma gringo. He told a white person joke. <laughs> and then the Colombians laugh and the uh, people from the States laugh and everyone laughs and it's easier. Translation is hard In this passage that was written in Greek the one that we read this morning translating it is hard it can mean different things when the NIV translates that first verse into English they say praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ did you even catch the difference? the way they translate it it sounds like we receive every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realm which would mean when we die, when we go home to God, when our baptism is complete, we receive every spiritual blessing. They're being held in a trust for us. They're waiting somewhere, and when we die, we'll get them. And here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. I think this translation is earnestly emphasizing something really important, the power of what Christ has done for our eternity. I think it's true, but I think it also sells short what Christ has done for our present. God's party starts now. Your name is on the guest list, and you're already invited. Here's another translation, the one we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All they did was they changed the order of four words, but it changes the emphasis. Did you see it? It's the blessings that come from heaven to us now. They're not waiting there for us. They're here. This other translation, the NIV, it implies that you have all kinds of spiritual blessings coming your way when you die. If you suffer through the present, they'll be yours one day. And they're just waiting for you in heaven. And I don't think that's all wrong. I think heaven will be incredible. God will be in heaven. Our mortal flesh will be turned immortal. In heaven, our disease will be swept away. We will be reunited with friends. These blessings are waiting for us, but... This idea that we're just waiting for spiritual blessings, just waiting to die, just trusting that one day we'll be blessed. I don't think that's all of it. Paul writes, God has blessed us. Has blessed us. We have the blessing by Jesus Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's not that we're waiting to get to heaven. It's that Jesus has already brought heaven to us. The Spirit of God is still bringing heaven to us. God is offering all the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places. It's not that we're sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, waiting to die. It's that they're being offered to us now. It is important to notice these are spiritual blessings. Please don't get confused. I'm not Joel Osteen. These are gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control they're from heaven because these gifts we receive are gifts from god and when we receive them we begin to look like god this isn't a prosperity gospel that god will give you the world it's the gospel that god is offering you a taste of heaven starting right now A couple weeks ago, we celebrated that Jesus is God, born in the flesh, that Jesus was true God, and he lived a perfect life. And looking forward to Lent, we remember how he died. And when he died, he tore the veil between earth and heaven. It's torn. The blessings from heaven are coming now. They are ours. If you just read your Bible in English, you could miss this conversation. If you don't know the questions to ask, you could read this passage and think God is holding these blessings for you one day, but they're yours. Which is why Paul is writing a letter. Not a textbook, not a history, a letter. Because he feels personally convicted, he's invested, he's not theorizing, he's not writing an academic treaty, he's saying that he's living this. This is a look into Paul's personal life. He's writing this letter because his friends in Ephesus, they don't get it. They think they're waiting until they die to get all this great stuff, and Paul's saying, I have it now, and I want it for you. He's been receiving all these gifts, the joy of the Lord, because the grass is green enough. The peace of knowing that God's got us, the love that emerges from receiving God's love, these gifts are ours now if we will receive them from Jesus Christ. This letter is a peek into Paul's personal life. He's pouring himself out to his friends in Ephesus, saying that God is giving us spiritual blessings from the heavenly places already. They are ours now. You're invited to the party, and it's starting right now, which is why we gather around this table. Here we are given a seat at a heavenly feast at the party that has already begun. We gather around the table of God and are invited to receive blessings from heaven. The Spirit of God is waiting here to give us blessings from Christ, and Paul tells us that we have been marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. It is a promise of adoption into God's family. It is a promise of redemption as God's own people. So if you long for love or joy or peace or patience, if you need more goodness or kindness or faithfulness, if you're lacking gentleness or self-control, come to this table because they are gifts from the heavenly places that are yours for the taking. There's just one little notice that Paul throws in. One thing you need to do. Well, one big thing. Paul says these gifts are ours through Jesus Christ. They are an inheritance for those who follow him. They are gifts for those who trust him. So as we come to this table, in just a minute, take this opportunity to confess again your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I challenge you to see if this letter from Paul isn't true. See if God doesn't shower you with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places, starting now. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love and for your grace that even now you are seeking to bless us, that even now you are creating heaven on earth. Give us eyes to see. Give us courage to follow. Give us hearts that long for you. And Lord, we trust that as we follow, you will pour out spiritual blessings from heaven upon us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.